Pop Culture Playbook, back with another episode. I am your host, Cameron Scales. Lovely to be back in front of the camera, giving out news and my own opinions to you guys. So today, we have the Men's and Women's National Championship. We will deep dive into that. Um, some NBA stuff as they're heading into the playoffs. And then some random news that, you know, has just been popping up on Twitter and on Instagram lately. So let's get right into it. Um, let's start with the men's men's game. Just get that out of the way. Obviously, everybody heading into it um, knew that it wasn't going to be as exciting, of a, even as a Final Four, as it was on the women's side. Yes, we did have a buzzer beater in the semifinals um, with San Diego State. But the women's side, with their star power – and the coaching star power, it just, it was too much for the men's side to handle this year. And last year we had a bunch of the Blue Bloods in the Final Four. This year we had a, all four teams who weren't even expected to make it. I would say UConn um, in the start of the year was an easy Final Four team and they kind of tailed off a little bit and then got back into shape. And you see what they did in the NCAA tournament, beating almost everybody by double figures. Um, but on the men's side, it just, you know, with the national championship game starting at 8 o'clock Central Time, 9 if you're on the East Coast, prime time, 5 o'clock or, or 6 o'clock, whatever it is, um, on the West Coast. But it just didn't have the same juice. And um, for many reasons, I think uh, team people just weren't familiar with these teams all year. I think this was a college basketball year where a lot of people weren't familiar Um with a lot of teams because there's just been so much movement and every single year it, it almost feels as if the summer, the spring and summer for men's college basketball is now basically just turned into free agency. We've seen um, guys like Hunter Dickinson from Michigan who by all means had a good year at Michigan. They didn't make it to the tournament and now he's looking to go somewhere else and hopefully compete for a national championship while also, you know, raising his draft stock. A bunch of guys around the country, there's too many in the name, that are entering the transfer portal after successful seasons at their school. So it's very interesting to see where these guys will end up, if these guys are ring chasing, if these guys are, you know, transferring for NBA evaluations, whatever the case may be, hopefully these guys are doing it with good intentions. Um, I don't see a problem with guys in college wanting to team up. I can very much so see a situation in college where guys start to treat the march in the summer as recruiting um, and doing it on their own and getting guys to their schools because at the end of the day, all these guys want to win national championships and most of these guys plan on playing into the NBA. And the best way to do that is to play deep into March and hopefully make it to April. Um, so now let's get to the women's game because the two semifinal games were great. Uh, LSU and Virginia Tech, I think a lot of people were surprised about Virginia Tech. Um, and if you did watch that game, they have very good players in their team. Um, they're not as deep as, as LSU, um, and they showed that, but they have a good team. And it's going to be interesting to see um, just the ACC next year with Louisville and North Carolina and Duke and all those schools that, you know, usually run the conference. It's nice to see that, you know, another team is, is kind of dominating. And then you have LSU with Angel Reese and all those girls and you know they just took it to them their their size was too much and um heading into the national championship it kind of felt like the winner of that game was just kind of waiting to lose the next game and i think that gave lsu some extra motivation um iowa versus south carolina um Malia boston she's been really good all year really steady obviously south carolina was 36 and 0 heading into that game had all the momentum um had all the size and 
I mean, even me being a big Caitlin Clark fan, I kind of just expected Iowa to roll over and, you know, South Carolina to beat them on the glass and then just kind of humiliate them into kind of into submission. But they didn't do it. Caitlin Clark obviously had a great game. Um, the girls around her um, are, are really good. Monica, uh, the big girl from Iowa, she's, she's a good player. Um, and they just held their own. Caitlin Clark, you know, a lot of people can say she can only do so much, but she always does so much. And, it, you know, they're never empty stats. She's always passing. You know, I think her shot selection and her variety of her shot selection can get better, but that's for a different conversation. Um, but I think Iowa and people around women's college basketball and people who just watch basketball in general, I think everybody, you know, was kind of on board and was like, okay, like she's legit seeing Caitlin Clark go against you know, South Carolina and Leo Boston head to head and win that matchup. Um, obviously they're not guarding each other, but people just thought, you know, Iowa made it to the final four. They should just celebrate that when, you know, their mind was on a national championship. And so you're heading into Sunday, 2.30 game, which the NCAA 100% needs to fix. Um, if they haven't heard about it now, everybody on social media was talking about it. There's no way a national championship, especially in the era of you trying to empower and push women's sports, there's no way that a national championship game should be played at 2.30, 3 o'clock on, on a Sunday. That game should be at, at earliest 5 p.m. Central, if not 5 p.m. on the East Coast. It should be an evening event. Um, nonetheless, it broke almost, it broke every single women's basketball viewership record. 9.9 um, .9 million viewers, it peaked at 12.5 million. It's incredible feat for women's basketball. I think the game, the game lived up to the hype. I know it ended up being um, a blot at the end. Um, Iowa was facing foul trouble. Uh, Caitlin Clark gets the bogus tech and it kind of just, it kind of just went left from there. But these numbers are incredible. I'm gonna read it off to you. Every NHL, Stan every NHL game, every NHL Stanley Cup game since 1973, more viewers. More viewers than games one, two, and three, and five of the 2021 NBA Finals. 2023 Sugar Bowl, uh, Bama versus K-State. 2023 Orange Bowl, Tennessee and Clemson, and every MLS game on record. So you may think that, oh, okay, these are some like regular bogus events or you know, not that many people were watching the Suns versus the Bucks in the finals, whatever. We need to take a moment and step back. And I think a lot of new fans don't really understand where women's college basketball was in the mid 2010s. It was essentially just UConn and everybody else trying to play catch up. And in the early 2010s, you had Maya Moore and you just had these great teams under Gino Oriama. They just were never gonna lose. It was so, it was almost an event or a crazy like, just like a blip in the radar when UConn would somehow lose. They would go on a 70, 80, 90 game win streaks and then finally lose in like a final four game or something like that or lose randomly on the road um, in the middle of the season and then never look back and beat everybody else by 40. And you could just sum up the NCAA women's season by seeing who UConn beat by 40 on any given night. And that's, you just knew that was going to be their end result. Brianna Stewart goes to UConn and wins four straight national championships. I mean, stuff like that should always be praised. It's never, it's not going to be duplicated. I think, um, 
players that go to UConn, I don't think they should be looked at as less or, you know, looked at as, oh, they're just going to a big school and they just want to beat at everybody. No, you're getting coached by the best. You're going to play against the best and you're going to always be competing against the best and you're going to get everybody's best shot. And so when you take that into account, I think seeing a team in a program like Iowa on the back of pretty much just one player getting all the way to the final four, it just shows the parity and the evolve the evolution of the women's game. Um, Haley Van Liff, LSU. Um, I can go on and on about players that are at these non-traditional schools that are putting up good numbers and are carrying their teams to, you know, deep into the tournament. And it's really good. It's really good to see because when all women's college basketball was, is oh, um, when is UConn playing in the national championship? Or who did UConn get this year that's going to carry them? Or is UConn going 40-0? It was more so about if UConn didn't go 40-0, people would check out. If they didn't go undefeated or they weren't beating teams by 30. Or the one time they lost, I think the, a great comparison to compare um, UConn in the mid-2010s is like Ronda Rousey when she was fighting in the UFC. Ronda Rousey was kicking every girl's ass, beating them the hell up quick. I mean... Fights get done in 10 seconds, one minute, one round, two rounds. If the girl made it to two rounds against Ronda Rousey, she was probably looked at as like a damn hero. And so the moment she lost against Holly Holm, I forget what year that was, but it was it made like national it was like national news. Everybody was on social media, kind of just freaked out like, oh, my God, this girl really just won. And ever since then, the UFC on the women's side has been a constant kind of turn of who's who's the queen, who's the champ, who who holds the belt. And that's what's been good for the sport. Ronda Rousey winning every single match for the next 10 years wouldn't have done anything for the sport. And that's the same thing that would have happened if UConn just keeps winning national championships and is the best team every single year. It just gets to the point where people, the casuals who don't watch it, they don't really understand what's going on. They only understand, oh, the best players go to UConn, so that's the only team that I should watch. And now, UConn on the women's side, they make it to, I want to, what is it, the Sweet 16 this year, the Elite Eight, and they lose. They have good players in their team. Um, obviously, Paige Becker, she's out. She's been out. She's actually been kind of MIA the past two seasons, which has been unfortunate because she was the best player in this class, supposedly. She was supposed to be the, the number one player, and she really is. She really is all the hype. Um, I'm not saying she would have taken away from what Caitlin Clark has done this year or Leah Boston or Angel Reese, but Paige, Paige Becker is the name that everybody got familiar with when she first came in. I mean, she was national player of the year as a freshman, average 20, um, got her team to the final four, all of that. And then, you know, has an ACL tear, MCL sprain, and has just, you know, hasn't been on the court since, but these stars that are coming into women's college basketball is what's causing the men's side to kind of slip and we'll get to the whole Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark thing um, here in a second but I guess I just wanted to dive in on um, why college basketball for women is has turned into this this bright spot in sports and from when you know it was kind of apparent you could see that like on Twitter and on Instagram a lot of the comments under the post had changed from you know go back to the kitchen or whatever the hell they would say to oh wow she's cooking like oh she might be like that for real and yes that's what the conversation should be because the shot making 
and the elite play was a vast difference in the men's and women's game. And you can say what you want about the athleticism and the defense and whatever. The ball still has to go in the rim. LSU put up 102 points. Me and what Iowa scored 85, and none of those teams got close in the men's national championship. So those are just things that I think a lot of casual fans don't look at, or if they see it, they don't really want to believe it. But um, the discussions got really, really nasty after the national championship game. Um, and here's I'm just going to give my 30 seconds to one minute on what I thought about it, and then we will move on and talk more women's hoops. So. LSU was clearly the more athletic and better team in that game. I think if LSU plays South Carolina, I think that game goes totally different. I think South Carolina ends up going 38-0, winning national championship, and, you know, they're right off into the sunset. But the matchup between Iowa and South Carolina, Iowa just had Caitlin Clark. They didn't have the size. They didn't have as much skill. They just had Caitlin Clark. But in this game... Iowa just seemed like like they just used most of their gas for the South Carolina game. And I don't blame them because I'm pretty sure Caitlin Clark played about 38 minutes, 37 minutes, barely came out. Um, but when you have one player carrying the load like that on one team and then you have another team where girls are coming in off the bench hitting four threes in one half, banking a three before halftime, the ball wasn't even in her hands, like stuff like that. And you could just tell it was just LSU's day. And Iowa tried to make runs, and every time LSU had an answer. And then down the stretch, Alexis Morris was hitting every 16, 17-footer um, at every angle, kind of off pick and roll. And, and you know, it kind of she was just icing the game bucket by bucket. And so she, credits to her. But towards the end, when Angel Reese is taunting Caitlin Clark at the free throw line, um, doing the face wave thing, whatever, I don't have a problem with it. You know, they're, they talk trash. These girls talk trash. Angel Reese has been talking shit all year, so I didn't expect anything less. But when you see at the, and I've seen this live, when you see her follow Caitlin Clark all the way around the court and get up in her face, it just turns like a, a good, like, how I got you moment into just like kind of a corny, like, just kind of just kind of corny like the pictures look really cool of her taunting Caitlin Clark but if you actually watch the video of her following her around for all that time it just kind of made it look a little a little corny like you're up by I don't even know how many points at this at this point um Caitlin wasn't even really acknowledging her on the court um but to sit here and call Angel Reese classless over something like that is super unnecessary which is crazy because this Conversation started by Keith Olbermann, who said, what an idiot. And then you had Dave Portnoy, who is, this is probably the only women's game he watched all year, quote tweeted and said, what a classless piece of shit. And like somebody coming from Dave Portnoy, I mean, he always has, is always saying wild stuff, but he isn't the classiest dude ever. But my main point is, why did we turn the game into some huge racial think piece. And I get it. The media did its thing. You know, they love when Caitlin Clark did it against Louisville, but hated when they when she did it against or when Reese did it to her. Why are we making this is one of the best women's basketball games a lot of people have ever seen in their lifetimes. And the one thing people will take away from it 
is what happened in the final moments of the game. Now, I know the refs were bad. I know the game could have been better. Caitlin Clark gets a bogus technical. Um, you, could t- you could say Kim Mulkey deserved two technicals. I don't care. I don't think she did. But for that game and for that tournament to be as good as it was and kind of the page-turning moment that women's basketball needed, it gets overshadowed by men who are making these egregious comments about something that they, one, don't care about, and two, they don't even consume their time with it. I guarantee you Dave Portnoy probably has only watched clips of Caitlin Clark. I guarantee he's never sat down and watched an actual game of hers. He maybe watched the South Carolina game. He definitely watched the championship. Other than that, I guarantee you he has no idea about that girl's background at all. He probably has no idea who Angel Reese even was until that game. He was just a Caitlin Clark fanboy who was mad that somebody else got in her face and was talking shit and beat her. Yes, it would have been great. Caitlin Clark caps off that incredible run with the national championship. Thing is, she's got one, potentially two more years to prove it, that she can. Um, but this, the whole thing on social media, it just, it just turned into something it was not. And the funny thing is, now today you have Caitlin Clark on ESPN talking about, oh, it's not a problem. Like, everybody talks trash. I talk trash. Like, it doesn't matter. Just because you end up having to be on the bad side of it doesn't mean you have to be the victim. And, you know, she played her cards right, and Caitlin Clark is, you know, a wonderful player, wonderful person. And so is Angel Reese. Like, just because she talks shit on the court doesn't make Angel Reese some, like, fucking, like, just wild, like, wild girl or somebody that you wouldn't want to be around. No, like, she, she just is competitive. She's fiery. And a lot of men have problems with women who show that competitiveness. Like it's, it's like it's just supposed to be for men or men are just supposed to walk around with their chest puffed out like they just accomplished something because people don't want to give women accomplishments when in sports. And it's just unfair. And I think this whole season and this whole tournament was a, a page turning moment for women's basketball. I think women's college basketball will probably be more popular than the WNBA for the next Four, three or four years. But I think once a lot of these college stars start infiltrating the WNBA and things start changing and, you know, the money changes and these players are making more money, these teams are making more money, um, it'll, just, it'll, it'll just seem like a better product. And it will be a better product because there will be star players that are actually playing, players that people can get attached to and that they can fall in love with. Like, Caitlin Clark is probably the first women's basketball player that people have fallen in love with since... I mean, probably, I would say Sabrina Inescu, but she played at Oregon and she wasn't really, like her team was good, but you know, people, basketball wasn't there yet with women's sports. And so when you have a girl like Caitlin Clark who has captivated everybody and everybody's watching to see what she's gonna do, that's what you need. And so I would say, you know, we've had girls like Maya Moore and Skylar Diggins and Brittany Griner and Brianna Stewart. Like, we've had superstars in college. They just haven't had the correct eyes on it. And now that there's the eyes, obviously you're going to bring in the casual viewers who are mad, but why are people making such a big deal about trash talking on the court? Like, I, it happened on Sunday. People on Monday are carrying it into a Monday. Half people talking about it on Sunday don't even give a shit about it on Monday. They got to go back to their regular lives and do what they do. Like, we're making think pieces out of things that should be discussed that night and maybe the next morning on first take or some sports shows. But after that, why are we turning a women's college basketball game into some 
it, just turning it into something it's not. And then to have the own players rebuke all of it after the game, it just kind of, kind of looks nuts. So getting off of that, um, I do think the future of women's hoops is in a good spot. Um, I, let, me, let me say that to end that. Uh, we will get into men's hoops uh, here in a second, but I do want to congratulate every single fucking team in the Final Four, every single team that made the tournament, um, ESPN's job of covering the whole tournament. Um, it's made it exciting, and next year is going to be crazy. I hope LSU and Iowa play the very first game or play in some whatever uh, a couple games in, it, whether it's at LSU, at Iowa, at a neutral side. I would love to see that rematch. Um, LSU's coming back fully loaded with the number two player in the country and um, like the number seven player in the country. Um, it would be great to see um, one of the top girls in the country whether that's a transfer or um, a high school recruit, go to Iowa and give Caitlin Clark a little bit more help. I think she's got a good enough teammates around her, but I think she's just missing one extra dynamic player that uh, will be able to take her over the top. So let's get into men's hoops. Um, we are about 20-something minutes in. I already told you the national championship game um, was boring. But we can kind of get into why this season as a whole just kind of felt a little empty. I think you have to start with the obvious, which is the best two prospects in the draft coming up this year didn't play in the NCAA at all. Um, that hurts. If Victor Wimbanyana is playing in playing at, even if he goes to Kentucky or goes to one of these huge blue blood schools, NCAA basketball would have picked up 10 notches. Scoot Henderson goes somewhere, it would have picked up so many notches. But um, when you have cases like a Brandon Miller, who's a really good player, but has a situation that gets overshadowed by pretty much every casual that doesn't really pay attention to the college season. I think a lot of people who watch college basketball don't realize how many people don't watch college basketball. I think that always kind of surprises me a little bit when there's these big name players that are coming into college and some NBA fans are, are like, eh, who is that? Like, we haven't, I don't really know about him much, but I mean, he might be on your team in a year. Um, I just think the casual viewership for men's college basketball has just gotten more and more fickle because of the transfer portal. Um, and the idea of now having these high school players go straight to the league or go to overtime or go overseas and make money. And yeah, I get it. The NIL as, treats a lot of guys really well in college, but a lot of agents who work with NBA guys as well are, you know, are getting these guys to play against better competition earlier. So when you get to the NBA, it's not as much of a shock. I understand that. I do think the best solution for every player, top recruit, whatever, is to go to college, get the experience, you know, get a coach that's going to tell you that you're not as good as you think and to get you better. Because I think ultimately these players that go to these overtimes and overseas, they're just – it's just an extra year of coddling. And I'm not saying that it's not tough. I'm not saying that it's a cakewalk for every player that goes to OTE or goes overseas, but you're, it's an easier route. And you can say what you want about the level of college hoops. It's an easier route than um, – it's an easier route going to OTE or going overseas than playing in college. You need to play for a coach who's going to tell you about yourself. You need to play for a coach who's going to discipline you and – try to erase some of those bad habits because nobody comes out of high school a complete player and hardly anybody goes one year into college and goes into the NBA a complete player. I don't care if you're drafted number one or you're the last pick in the draft. 
nobody comes into the NBA a finished product. And so make, taking those steps to get there, I think going to college, even if it is just spending one season there or eight months on the campus, I think that's the best thing for players. I think what I talked about earlier, how a lot of these guys, like Caleb Love is another one who two years ago is in the national championship at North Carolina. And now he's in the transfer portal and could likely be headed to Mizzou, could be headed to Indiana. We don't know yet. Um, but, I mean, shout out to him, St. Louis. I hope he goes to Mizzou. I hope he turns up the school, the state. Um, Mizzou had a really good year. Their first legit good year probably since 2013, 2014. Um, but, yeah, anyway, off the hat, um, I just think now that – there's money that can be made. There's money that can be persuasive at these other schools and these other deals and partnerships, whatever. It's allowing pretty much the top, I would say at least the top 30 to 20 college players, if they do test a transfer portal, it's pretty much free agency. You've got these coaches who are going to pretty much roll out the red carpet. You've got these boosters who are going to roll out the red carpet. And, um, if your goal is to maximize as many dollars as you can before you make it to the NBA, I'm all for it because a lot of guys go to the NBA and don't make it to a second contract. And if they do make it to that second contract, they may not make it to a third. And getting that sense of money management even in college is really good. I think players who have these handlers and these agents and these people around them that protect them I think a lot of that stuff can get out of hand when you're talking about money because other people do want a share of that or they you know feel like they have the responsibility of putting you in that position but if you weren't even that good in the first place these people wouldn't even look your way and so making these decisions it is very interesting to see like guys who are in good situations look for better ones obviously the grass is not greener on the other side some players will learn that the hard way some players will transfer to different schools and they might get into a winning situation they might average three or four points less but they might be winning every single game and so you know winning solves everything I don't care if you average 10 points a game or average 19 points a game in front of a losing team shit it's not fun it's a long season if you're just losing or you're winning once out of every three or four games like you know tempers start to flare and people start to get pissed and now you're in the middle of January and you got three guys who want to transfer and one guy's you know not messing with the coach and this other guy's got great issues or got discipline issues and it just all that losing it just culminated it just highlights all the small things that everybody is or isn't doing um but back to the point really I think it is interesting that um the players are kind of taking over. I think we've kind of ushered out the last of the um, coaches that are like more famous than the players. Like a Coach K, he's out. Roy Williams, he's out. Coach Bill Self, I don't know how much longer he has at Kansas, but hopefully a lot longer. Tom Izzo could be on his way out. Coach Cal, he might be out of Kentucky soon. There's just a lot of turning uh, of the tables that's going on right now. I think the the iconic and legendary coaches, them them leaving the game at this point, like I think Coach K saw this type of stuff coming and he just didn't want to deal with it. I also think that his Duke team wasn't going to be able to be, you know, the top three team automatically because they probably weren't going to play by the same NIL rules as the other schools because it's Duke. 
guys at the end of the day still feel a privilege of going to a school like that. And so they're not going to give one guy $2 million when they still have probably three or four other guys that they still need to appease, even if, even if, for, if it's for a year. So college basketball on the men's side is going to be – it's probably going to be a wild card every year. One year, it might be really, really good. And the next year, it might be fucking terrible. And then the next year, it might be okay. And the next year, it might be even worse. And then it might be really, really good one year when we have three or four different stars coming to college and, you know, they're automatic one, two, three going in the draft or something like that. That would be really exciting. But until then, I think the women's game has finally caught up to – men's game in college the girls are staying I think even Caitlin Clark is probably going to take her COVID year so she's going to have a fifth year and that in that fifth year it's all going to be about what record she's breaking she's going to be probably the college all-time leading scorer men's or women's it'll be about her getting that national championship and bringing it home for Iowa there'll be so many storylines even just going into next season with LSU and Iowa or with South Carolina Iowa or UConn coming back on the map or Stanford and there's just so many teams or so many situations that could be really good next season for women's college basketball. And we're going into the men's season next year, like, okay, hopefully the number one recruit doesn't decide to go overseas or doesn't decide to like skip college and just go straight into the NBA. Like it's just a bunch of hoping going on on the men's side. Whereas the women's side, it's like, all right, we know what's about to be in store for the next couple of seasons. I think that's what's got a lot of people really, really excited. All right, I just went damn near almost 30 minutes on um, WNBA, or not WNBA, women's college basketball and um, men's college basketball. Um, Speaking of the WNBA, I really hope that WNBA does a really good job with these girls coming in. You have a lot of girls that are really good spokespeople, not only for the game of basketball, but for the WNBA as a brand. Like, you need to put these girls in front of the camera. You need to make these girls famous. You need to do whatever you can to push the agenda and the narrative of these girls being legit stars. Um, Haley Jones from Stanford announced she's going to the draft. Shout out to her. She's got a podcast. Sometimes I hoop. Um, I listen to it every time she comes out. It's really good. She's got a really good podcast voice, and she's just a good listen. Really smart and intelligent. You know, obviously Stanford grad. But you have people like that. Caitlin Clark, obviously, Paige Beckers, Haley Van Lith, Aaliyah Boston, Angel Reese, whenever she decides to go. Um, and they're just going to keep on coming. There's more stars that I'm not even mentioning. Uh, Cameron Brink from Stanford is, you know, another good, good center, good big that will be in the WNBA soon. Like, there's a lot of girls that are really, really good. And the WNBA has to, has to take advantage, and they have to, they have to do something about it. Because if you're just going to send these players off to the WNBA and try to create m- – Hopefully just the next star comes into college. All you're going to do is just relying on the college game to make the WNBA better. But then if you're just going to get these girls and not do anything about it, it's just kind of a waste. So off that tangent, um, the WNBA has a lot more things to fix than just hoping that stars come. But I digress. Um, Into some regular news. It's Tuesday, April 4th. Um, Trump was indicted on 34 counts of Class E felonies for falsification of business records. Um, he will not be handcuffed, uh, won't be placed in jail, or, sub- or subjected to a, a mugshot. And I think, I'm not surprised by it, because my take is, if you put a president in handcuffs and you have those pictures, or there's a president with a mugshot, um, it just 
it's just gonna set a bad precedent precedent for the next presidents that come in after that because as soon as a president is under fire over something because it's social media world now everything everybody's getting called out for whatever good or bad it's just everybody's going to be calling for that president to be handcuffed or for him to be thrown in jail and it just becomes about the wrong thing and it's just it becomes more and more about people trying to just go after people instead of sitting down and you know not say talking things out but like coming to better resolutions and I'm not saying that Trump doesn't deserve to go to jail. Personally, over the stuff they got him on, I don't think that he's going to go to jail. Um, 34 counts is a lot, but it just would set a bad example for future presidents and how the media would consume that type of information and what it could lead to in the future. Um, yeah, it, I mean... As soon as Trump's placed in handcuffs, what do you think conservatives are going to do? They're going to call for Biden to be put in handcuffs. He should be in jail. He should be this. He should. It just turns the political game another direction where it shouldn't go, and it's already kind of a joke. And the last thing we need is for people to make a mockery out of just future presidents going down the line. And I know it sounds like shit, but it just it, it is what it is. Like you can't allow, man. You put a president in handcuffs and you see what happens to the world after that. I'll, I'll just keep it at that. Um, Florida will allow its residents to carry concealed guns without a permit or training. This law goes into effect July 1st. I think I speak for a lot of people and we will be very cautious about where we vacation in, in Florida. Um, Y'all be safe down there because Florida always has the craziest stories that we see on Twitter and Facebook and now you're just putting guns in this situation it just it doesn't sound good and on a serious note the public shootings and public massacres i think you you're opening up the floodgates for stupid shit like that to happen and we're already in a bad space right now with gun control and gun laws in in our country just allowing people the free will that definitely shouldn't it just it's, it just sets a, another bad precedent for how people are going to grow up in the world. Um, on to some lighter news, Meg Thee Stallion uh, threw the first pitch out at the Astros game. She looked amazing doing it. Um, yeah, white jeans, tied T-shirt. It's kind of an undefeated combo. She looks like she's lost weight too. Um, after that whole Tory Lanes and trial, I think that she is just trying to get her head above water again and kind of just live a normal life. I understand it. Um, but she looked good doing it. Shit. Um, humans can live up to 120 years, according to research. Um, yeah, I won't be staying around that long. Um, fuck no. 120 years old? Hell no. Give me 90, 95, and I think I'm cool. But um, 120, I'm not going to be walking around like a fucking soggy banana or whatever. Like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, weird news. 21-year-old Tanner Cook, he's a YouTuber, and I guess he does, I've never heard of this kid's channel. His channel is um, Classified Goons with almost 40,000 subscribers. He does prank videos. I guess he goes into public, like places like Walmart, and does pranks on people or does whatever. Um, he got shot in the stomach for messing with the wrong person um, in a mall in Virginia at a food court, actually. Um, to anybody who's making YouTube prank videos or, you know, trying to be funny on the internet, I salute it 
because it's funny for people like me to watch. If I'm in a YouTube rabbit hole and I come up on a prank video, I'm, you know, I might watch it or I see something on Twitter that might have gone viral on TikTok, I might watch it, but you gotta learn who you're messing with. I think within the first 10 seconds of interacting with somebody, you should know who you can and cannot play a prank on. Um, that's just never been my thing. I think a lot of people who do this on the internet are truly too old to do it. I'm 26 and I would never, I would never walk up to somebody and just be filming them in the first place. I just had never really been able to get around that idea at all. But to play pranks on somebody that might have had a bad day that's in Walmart, it just, I'm not saying you deserve to get shot over it because the guy that ditched you and got arrested, but you got to learn who you're messing with. You're going to mess with the wrong person and, you know, that bullet wound could have killed him. And it's like, okay, now you just died over a YouTube prank. It's like, is it ever that serious? And him laying in the hospital bed, it's probably, it's probably not that serious. Um, my last little news... Uh, for today that I actually found very, very um, interesting was the company Endeavor. And they are basically what I would say is like a, a sports talent and like sports like management sort of company. And what they do, and they're actually supported by IMG Academy, which is a you know famous training facility and school down in Bradenton, Florida. Um, basically, they just bought the UFC and WWE and they're making it publicly uh publicly traded so you will see the fucking endeavor on the stock market i think um the w it will fall under the wwe it'll be like 106 dollars a share um so basically the description was they have signed a, a def definitive agreement uh for a new publicly listed company consisting of two iconic complementary gl global sports entertainment brands ufc wwe um, upon closing, Endeavor will hold a 51% controlling interest in the new company, and WWE shareholders will hold a 49% interest. The new company will be positioned to maximize the value of our combined media rights, enhance sports, uh, enhance sponsorship monetization, develop new forms of content, and pursue other strategic uh, mergers and acquisitions to further bolster and strong uh, stable of, of brands. Damn, I just read that so choppily. Um, but then that was a quote from Vince uh, McMahon, who you know, obviously runs WWE. Deals like this, I think, are about to be the new future um, that we see in sports, especially these companies that are privately owned. They're going to be trying to buy these, um, buy these, these sport, basically brands. I don't even want to say like they're not even really leagues anymore. They're pretty much brands at this point. UFC is a huge brand. They're a fighting brand. When you, watch, when you say UFC, like people tell you that they do mixed martial arts fighting. They don't really say, they say, oh, I do UFC or I do this. And um, I think it's good that because the, the WWE, they're still hosting events at football stadiums, pulling 75, 80,000 people at their events. So as much as people want to say the WWE is dead, I never watched it. But clearly there's a market for it. Um, there's clearly a market for it. Um, the UFC, every single uh, every Saturday seems like a Saturday fight night, which is um, really good thing that they've done through ESPN Plus and their pay-per-view is that they've pretty much taken Saturday night and any Saturday night that doesn't have like a marquee college football game it's pretty much you know people are waiting to, to watch a, a heavyweight bout or a title a title championship and that's great um like I said I don't really watch WWE that much but I think a company that's willing to invest this much money into what is global entertainment 
I think it's a good thing. It's more money for these fighters who deserve a bigger paycheck. I think um, a lot of these fighters fight so much because of the money that they can get from it. But like the sponsorship deals and the um, visibility that these fighters don't get outside of the ring, I think it hurts them a lot. I think most of these fighters, they want that. Obviously, it's you know a little harder when you're getting your freaking face kicked in every week. So it takes three months to heal properly from your injuries, or it takes four weeks for your um, face to go down from swelling. Like, obviously, you know your face is out there in UFC and in boxing and in WWE. But combat—I mean, combat sports—is always going to be a thing. People pay to watch celebrities fight. People are always going to watch. Um, hand-to-hand combat it's just always going to be a thing but um a sports company like endeavor that is focused on content and monetization and furthering you know the viewership of sports like this i think that's the new wave of what's going to happen obviously the w- the nfl and the nba are you know their budgets and their funding is high enough to where they don't need a company to buy them out and to you know, relinquish rights to any TV broadcast channels, but you just kind of can see the play of what's happening. And um, people are selling their music catalogs. People are selling leagues. People are um, selling a lot of these assets in a weird time in America right now where the American dollar is, you know, in flux. So I think that's something to look out for. Um, Obviously, you have the Paul brothers and Prime uh, they have a new sponsorship with UFC. I think that's one of those things that I, I went kind of underlooked, like how much money that the Paul brothers are probably going to make from this company buying UFC and the UFC, you know, being in partnership with Prime. I think that's a, um, an interesting thing. But all in all, I'm all for these big companies uh, buying up these, these leagues and stuff like this because eventually it will lead to more money for the people that make it popular. So... That's my uh, rant on that. We are 42 minutes in. Um, obviously, you can see the new setup. I moved into a new spot. I am living on my own now. So hopefully, I can start getting more and more content out more frequently. Um, I do eventually want to get to where I'm uh, uploading just a bunch of audio podcasts, whether that be 20 minutes long or you know how we're doing right now, 42 minutes long. But... Um, Eventually, I want to put out more content. I will be having more guests on my show. I think um, what I realized is is that I do like bouncing my opinion off of other people's. But not only, I like seeing other people get in front of the camera and really kind of work their opinions and get better at recording. Because me, myself, I'm still getting better at this shit. Like, I ain't perfected it. I got a cheap-ass mic. I got... I. You know, record this off GarageBand. I edited it on Premiere Pro. Like, I ain't really got all the crazy equipment either. I record this off my fucking phone. Like, you know, there's a lot more shit I can get better at, um, a lot more money to be spent on my setup and doing all kinds of stuff like that. But it will be new guests soon. Um, hopefully, I, these podcasts can, you know, take this next step forward. But um, that's pretty much all I have for today. My name is Cameron Scales. It's Pop Culture Playbook. Thanks for tuning in. I'm out. Thank <laughs> you.